Greetings, church and friends of the church. It is the middle of December 2020. We are now nine months into this uh, really strange season of pandemic and wilderness, um, with the wilderness being uh, the metaphorical image of this whole series um, for this place of being thrust out from and disconnected from what we used to know as routine or normal. Um, the wilderness is that place where we are wandering together um, towards something that will become a new normal but isn't yet realized. And we're getting closer with the news of a vaccine coming, but we know that we are still not in a settled place. We're still on this journey from what we used to know to what we will know as normal someday. And in the wilderness, we're not monopolized by going through the motions of what is normal. And so we have more time and, and more space within us to um, reflect critically on our life together and to, to plan for a future that is better when we are finally able to arrive there. So in this series, uh, we've reflected on these natural physical tendencies that evolved within all of us as human beings um, to these tendencies to fight, to assume negatively about others, uh, and to tribalize with those who are like us against those who are not. Um, and, and we've considered in this series the, the isms, um, the tendencies um, that we have together, uh, where these uh, physical tendencies within us all, when, when you put us all together in this big pot of community together, um, in those places of fearfulness and reactivity, we see these isms become part of our corporate life together. Sicknesses that are that embodiment of those self-serving instincts. And so in this series, we've considered the need for a spirituality that counteracts these physical forces. Um, a different set of voices that speak to us about who we are and how to respond to one another that is different than the voices that our fearfulness tells us to fight, to assume negatively, to tribalize. And so we started to consider some different um, spiritual practices that can nurture that other voice within us that helps us move beyond these uh, physical trappings. So the first was the spiritual practice of the prayer exchange, where we name and set down our desires and exchange them for what we understand to be the divine desire of peace and community. The second spiritual practice that we considered in the last episode was that of meditation. Intentionally clearing the mind and thinking of nothing, resting in the goodness and the safety and the comfort of the moment for long enough so that our body's reactive systems calm and shut down. And so that our minds, that rational part of us is awakened instead. And we can live based on what is rationally true and good rather than live by irrational instinct. So the third spiritual practice that we consider in this episode that, that helps us to have that voice that speaks a different word about who we are um, is mindfulness, which is the intentional effort to become aware of something or someone specific 
and to be fully present to their reality. So we had to consider meditation first, because while meditation is possible without practicing mindfulness, mindfulness is not possible without first practicing meditation. And that is because if we don't practice enough meditation to shut down our instincts, to let our systems calm, and remember it can take an hour or hours, then our minds continue in this place of being bypassed, and so they don't get to function. So we cannot hold something or someone in a place of fullness in our minds if they are being bypassed or shut off. Being mindful of someone or something is not the same as being aware. We can be aware of someone or something with a mind that is, is closed, while living life in that reactive and self-protecting way that is driven by our instinctual fears. So that can be an other-focused fear, like a fear of immigrants or people of color, fear of members of the LGBTQ community, fear of Muslims, fear of Republicans or Democrats or authoritarians or socialists. This other-focused fear of, of what another might do that threatens me triggers my tendency to fight and assume and tribalize and to, to become antagonistic against others. That is a brand of awareness, but it's an awareness that is centered in the reactive systems of the body and not the rational mind. Or our... Um, our fears can be more self-focused rather than other-focused, where it's more about what might be an indirect threat to me caused by this other. So this is the, um, I don't think immigrants are awful people, but if too many come, then I won't have a job to provide for my family kind of fear. Or the, you know, I know that, you know, higher wages for the poor would really help them, but I'm afraid it would drive up the prices of too many things to the point that I couldn't afford what I need anymore kind of fear. It's a fear that is less violent, but is fear nonetheless. It's, it's, an, it's an awareness of the immigrant and the poor, but it is still centered in fear and not in the rationality of the mind. And so in order to be mindful, we have to first take the time to meditate. To rest in the goodness of the moment, the hour, the day, however long it takes for that pathway to our mind to be reopened. So that we be can become more deeply aware of the circumstances of a particular conversation or issue or person or persons without fear um, derailing our thought process. So this is, this is how we know when we cross this threshold. And we are not just physically aware of something or someone in that self-focused context of what impact does this have on my well-being, but have reopened that pathway to the rational mind and have become more deeply aware of something or someone in our minds, mindful of it or them. This is how we know. The question of our consideration of our awareness shifts from what impact does this idea or person, a group of people have on my well-being to how might I have an impact on the life of this other? Or how might my life 
positive impact on these circumstances. We know we are being mindful and not just aware when the primary emotion we are feeling in response to others is not fear, but is empathy. We know that we are being mindful when it makes logical sense that we would do something differently or give something of ourselves or be willing to give up something or to advocate for a social order that doesn't so obviously benefit me. And the driving force behind our response to others and the larger world around us is not antagonistic fighting, assuming, and tribalizing, but is loving kindness. We know that we're being mindful when we are able to see that our lives are inextricably connected to the lives of others, that our circumstances are directly connected to the circumstances of others. And we see how the attitudes, the patterns, the norms, the decisions of our own living is either contributing to the well-being of others or is detracting from the well-being of others. We know that we're being mindful when our goal in life shifts from seeking the well-being of the self with fear, regardless of potential negative impact on others when I self-serve, shifts away from that, and our goal becomes the well-being of others and the whole with empathy. There's a psalm in the Hebrew Scriptures attributed to King David. David wrote or sang about God. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you would care for them? This mindfulness um, is attributed to God many times in the Hebrew Scriptures. And sure enough, it's always associated with remembering, considering, and acting for the sake of the well-being of a person or persons, and is never associated with a divine awareness that breeds divine anger or punishment or retribution. God remembered, God was mindful of Abraham and rescued him and his nephew. God was mindful of Rachel and caused her to conceive. God was mindful of the Israelites and then called Moses forth to help lead them out of slavery in Egypt. God was mindful of God's own loving kindness and acted accordingly time after time after time. In the Christian tradition, we maintain that Jesus modeled that same mindfulness. He prepared himself for empathy by his practices of meditation, not in the synagogues or temples, but in the solitude of the deserts and the gardens. These stories about him from the Greek scriptures tell time and time again how he responded to the stranger, the alien, the woman, the widow, the leper, the Roman centurion, the tax collector, all these people who would have normally received a reactive, fearful, negative response from others who were acting reactively rather than thoughtfully. But instead, from him, they got compassion and empathy. It's my favorite word in the whole Bible, this Greek word, euspagnos, which describes this visceral compassion response of Jesus. His meditation and his mindfulness led to this organic bubbling up of empathy and compassion. He saw crowds full of hungry people, and while his followers had this self-focused response of, 
Oh my gosh, send them away because we can't afford to feed them. Jesus was mindful of them, carefully considering their circumstances without fear or judgment. And he had compassion, so he fed them. When he was faced with the sick, the diseased, the lame, he was not afraid to, to talk to or to touch them. He was mindful of them, carefully considering their circumstances without fear or judgment. And he had compassion, so he healed them. He told the parable of the prodigal son, where the younger of the two brothers takes his inheritance and runs away, squanders it all on wild and self-indulgent living and partying. When he goes broke, he heads home. The older brother has this self-focused, instinctual, reactive response of judgment, antagonism, self-righteousness. He's worried about himself. But the father, rather, has euspalagnos, compassion, empathy. He's mindful of the circumstances of his younger son without fear or judgment, and he welcomes him back with food, shelter, and love. It is mindfulness and not reactivity and judgment that is exalted in this tale. Our own mindfulness follows the same pattern. We can call to mind a set of circumstances, a person, or a group of persons. We consider the realities that surround the circumstances or the people. The realities as they are not a, a skewed reality through the lens of what we fear them to be and not skewed by our own judgment about what the circumstances of others ought to be, but as they are, without judgment, without fear. And if a, a judgment or fear arises because that happens naturally out from these instincts, we can make note of them mentally and then dismiss them so that they don't awaken those reactive, fear, fearful processes within us. And if we've done a good meditative work that allows these considerations to fill up our minds rather than triggering that fearful response, then we pay attention to the possibilities that arise out of our empathy for how our lives might contribute positively to the circumstances or the well-being of the person or persons. Again, mindfulness can be part of a spirituality that is grounded in an organized religion or a spirituality that is not shaped by the practices and traditions of a particular religion. Jewish prayer and worship practices and the celebration of festivals and holidays keep the people grounded in this story of God's mindfulness and of their calling to be mindful of all the nations of the world. Christian prayer and worship Practices function similarly with the added layer of Jesus' witness and his insistence on love for neighbor and enemy. In the Islamic context, mindfulness is a virtue. Constant knowledge of the servant nature of the self and the constant conviction in the supervision of the truth, what is actually real, which results in greater attention and care to one's own actions, thoughts, and feelings. In the Buddhist context, mindfulness is the seventh element in the Noble Eightfold Path. It's the maintenance of an awareness of reality, rather than maintaining false views of circumstances or others, rather than becoming delusional because of our fears. But whether or not our mindfulness is framed within the context of a particular religion or not, the benefits to the self and to the connected community are the same. 
At the individual level, mindfulness reduces stress, which is good for the health of our bodies and minds, because we respond to more people, more groups of people, more sets of circumstances that we inevitably face in our day-to-day -day living with thoughtfulness rather than this flood of stress-inducing hormones that reactively prepare us to fight, to assume, and tribalize, that wreak havoc on our body in the long term. Less stress and fear mean more resilience, more patience, less reactivity in the context of our relationships with others, be that a parent, a child, a spouse, a friend, a coworker, a stranger. At the community level, more mindfulness and the empathy and the compassionate nurtures means less fighting, less assuming, less tribalizing and polarizing, less greed, less hoarding, less dysfunction, and instead, more sharing, more cooperation, more creativity, more equity, more justice, more peace. So whether religious or not, this is the spiritual path, the path that leads us away from that animalistic, instinctual, reactive, irrational, self-focused, individualistic, disconnected place and way of life, and toward the prayerful, calm, mindful, collaborative, intentional, peaceful pursuit of the common good. Some people are mindful with the help of guiding voices and 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 like and like last week when we last episode in considering meditation, there are millions of examples on YouTube and there are apps for that to help nurture a mindfulness practice. Some people have an intentional mindfulness practice that occurs uh, at a set time each day or week or occurs in the same way with the help of the same tools. Um, YouTube's helpful, apps are helpful, journals are helpful uh, for intentional mindfulness so that we can make notes beforehand of who or what we'd like to consider when we sit down in that place of mindfulness and so that we can make notes during that time of the feelings and the possible compassionate responses we sense um, while being mindful. But others of us, and I'd probably put myself more in this camp, have more of a responsive mindfulness where I've gotten into the habit of, as mindfully as I am able, responding to circumstances or people as I face them throughout the day. Naming and setting aside judgments and fears, seeking to better understand the full picture, not allowing myself to stop at fear, but to continue until I have some sense of what an empathetic or compassionate response might be from me. This could be in response to something that happens with Blair, my wife, with, with something with one of our three kids, someone, someone who's a part of the church that I'm a part of and I serve, someone in the local community. It could be in response to a, you know, a news story near or far that I read or that I, um, that I see, a political story or idea or policy or some random thing that pops up on social media. In those moments, we can be reactive or we can be mindful. But again, we have to understand that meditation is a prerequisite to mindfulness. As I acknowledged in the last episode, I can tell when I haven't had enough meditation in a day. I am less patient, I'm quicker to fight, more likely to say something judge judgmental, um, more likely to assume negatively, more likely to retreat into the tribe of people who think like me. Um, I struggle to be truly mindful. But when I have had some quiet time with a cup of coffee or a nice walk through the woods or with the dog, 
um, if I've had uh, some some time to listen to Pearl Jam without anything uh, to trigger my worry or anxiety or fear, um, I can I can sense the difference. I am more patient. I am much more likely to be mindful in all of these moments throughout the day. More likely consider the whole reality and not just to accept one side of a story. Less likely to get caught up in tribal commotion of negative assumptions. More likely to seek the well-being rather than the demise um, of someone who thinks differently. More likely to seek common good, rather my own good or tribal good. Mindfulness is the third critical spiritual practice to help us move beyond the isms that plague us as we are slaves to our physicality and these animalistic and instinctual tendencies. So, whether religious or not, how might you develop this practice of regularly seeking to become more fully aware of the realities and circumstances of others without judgment, without fear, but instead with empathy and compassion? What voices do you need to stop giving access to your spirit? Who do you need to tune out or turn off? Because they so fear and they compromise your ability to be mindful. What voices do you need to allow into your spirit? Because they will sow greater understandings, truth, reason, empathy, compassion, and peace. I'm happy to talk with anyone about this, so please feel free to reach out. I wish you all well with your meditating and with your mindfulness uh, for your sake and for the good of all. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask, be well, peace to all. Take care.